The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Peter approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive? As many as seven times. Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. That is why the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who decided to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the accounting, a debtor was brought before him who owed him a huge amount. Since he had no way of paying it back, his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife, his children, and all his property in payment of the debt. At that, the servant fell down, did him homage, and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back in full. Moved with compassion, the master of that servant let him go and forgave him the loan. When that servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a much smaller amount. He seized him and started to choke him, demanding, Pay back what you owe. Falling to his knees, his fellow servant begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had the fellow servant put in prison until he paid back the debt. Now when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply disturbed and went to their master and reported the whole affair. His master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave your entire debt because you begged me to. Should you not have had pity on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? Then in anger his master handed him over to the torturers until he should pay back the whole debt. So will my heavenly Father do to you, unless each of you forgive your brother from your heart. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Lord Jesus Christ. The devil loves to try to convince us of two lies. One, that you're entitled. We're not entitled to anything. God gives us everything. All our bounty comes from him. It was the same lie he used to Adam and Eve. You're entitled. Go ahead. And the second great lie that he uses, he whispers in our ears, is that you're a victim. When in truth, there's really only one victim. And it's by his victimhood that we receive freedom. This trick of the devil and these lies work in similar ways to addictions. If you watch someone on a a telephone or an iPad or if you look at behavior with alcohol or drugs, it creates these little neuropathways in the brain that create endorphins and the person becomes addicted 
not to the activity or to the thought, but to their brain chemistry. They have to have that high over and over. And this is where the justification of receiving those chemicals begins to set in. This is where wrath and anger, which are hateful things, and as the scripture, the first scripture says, the sinner hugs them tightly. They hug them tightly because they're addicted to the feelings they get. And we are rational beings, and we do have passions, but they're the third order of the intellect. We have the intellect, which seeks truth, then the will is given the option to move the person to truth, and then after that occurs, then the passions follow, like little ducks. But the devil likes to turn us upside down and remove us from how God created us with the gift of reason to turn us more like the animal kingdom which is driven by its passions. Our passions should be the product of the direction of our wills. This past week, my family lost my nephew. He was a good boy, and I miss him terribly, only 30 years old but he fell into a habit in college, and this habit ultimately took his life. He did fight diligently against it. He had an addiction. But it's important to remember there are many types of addictions, brothers and sisters. It's the substance that the devil uses which is most difficult for us. In the scripture, in the first reading, it says the sinner remembers the neighbor's sins in detail. They nourish them. They nourish that anger by recalling over and over again that offense against them. And spiritually, they grow weaker and weaker. The book of Sirach, the first reading, asks if such a person expects healing from God... while refusing to give mercy to another? Can he expect to receive God's mercy? The Lord is kind and merciful. He is slow to anger, and he's rich in compassion. The Lord does not chide someone. He does not keep his wrath forever. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins, and he doesn't reject us because of our past sins. Our separation from God depends not upon how far God has moved from us, but rather how far we have moved from Him, because God is the unmoved mover. Therefore, He's always close if we choose, if we make an act of the will. In the Gospel, Jesus draws out the example that we need to be good stewards of His many resources. And it's not about the talents or the debts, but seeing the mercy that God has given to us as something entrusted to us that we must be a good steward of. With practice, we can learn to forgive the little offenses every day. But we must admit, though, it is harder to forgive the big things. Sooner or later, each one of us will have to forgive a major offense. 
maybe even a life-shattering wound inflicted by someone we love dearly. Or we may run into a situation in which we ourselves have committed a sin so grave and we can't seem to forgive ourselves, even though we know God has forgiven us. In these cases, it's much harder to follow Christ's command of limitless mercy, but it's not impossible. Theologians rightly teach that forgiveness is an act of the will. It's a decision to let go, to let go of the desire for revenge and to release the offender into the hands of God and his justice, not ours, which is faulty. Now that decision does not play, that decision does not take place at just the surface. It has to be at the heart level. Jesus says, unless you forgive from the heart. So it's set at a deep level of the soul. And if it's at that deep level, then that forgiveness, that letting someone go, can exist at the same time where strong emotions of anger and resentment remain. Those emotions don't follow from the will, like our decisions. They're simply natural reactions to the experience of injustice or feelings which we can't always control. But our decisions, our choices, that exists at the very core of the soul, in the will. And those we can control. In other words, it is possible to truly forgive someone and at the same time still have feelings of anger or resentment. Those might be justified anger as opposed to wrathful anger or unjust anger. But when that happens... We have to counteract the feelings by prayer and by turning our attention to the Lord, specifically to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. It's the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus which produces the counter-virtues of humility and meekness. Those are perfect responses when the devil is trying to attack. Eventually, though, it may take a long time God's grace will overflow from our will. We've already forgiven the offender, and then the healing will occur of the emotions. You know, there's a good example, and we turn to saints like Maria Goretti or Pope St. John Paul II to see how they forgave people who offended them. There are also others who are around us, great examples within the public. Cheryl McGuinness, learn the secret of mercy at the foot of a strange and terrible cross. She's the widow of the co-pilot of American Flight 11, which was hijacked and smashed into the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001. That morning, she and her two teenage children cried and suffered at the horrible loss of Tom, their husband, her husband, and their father. In the midst of her tears, she remembered something that her husband, knowing that Pilate's job is risky, had told her many years before. If anything ever happens to me, you have to trust God. God will get you through it. She took that to heart, but it wasn't easy. A turning point in her process of healing came almost a year after the attack when she went to Ground Zero to participate in a a victim compensation fund. When she arrived at Ground Zero, emotionally stunned, she looked into the 
pit where the buildings had once stood. She looked at the remains, and her eyes fixed on the only steel structure left standing. It was in the shape of a cross. She kept looking from the pit to the cross, and her eyes focused on the cross. She prayed in the silence of her heart, Lord, they killed my husband. Then she seemed to see herself at the foot of another cross, Christ's cross on Calvary. She heard God in her heart, inviting her to forgive the terrorist who had committed this atrocity. She asked him why, and the answer that came into her soul was, because I forgave you. That was the moment of grace for her and of spiritual clarity for Cheryl, in which she saw that although she had never committed horrible acts of terrorism, she had indeed committed sins herself. She had done evil, and Jesus had forgiven her. It was then that she felt the inner strength she had felt before, the strength to forgive her husband's murderers, and it changed the direction of her life. Brothers and sisters, God does not ask us to forgive on our own strength. He gives us grace. And he gives us the strength to forgive by forgiving us first. That is the font of our ability to be able to forgive. To see that it flows from his cross and his act of love. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne prayers and petitions of our hearts, knowing that all good comes from you. In your mercy, hear our prayers and increase in us your merciful love. We pray for the church throughout the world, for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and for our Bishop, Luis Raphael. Continue to guide and inspire them by the Holy Spirit. We pray to the Lord. We pray for our nation for its leaders, for its justices, its legislators. We pray for those who defend our freedoms, that they may be kept safe from harm. For our citizens and those in greatest need, we pray to the Lord. We pray for the sick, for those who carry in their bodies the sharing in Christ's passion. May they find hope in the cross of Christ and be surrounded by the faithful. We pray to the Lord. We pray for the protection of the most innocent, the unborn and the elderly. That in our nation and in our society, we have we may have a renewed respect for all life, from natural conception to natural death. We pray to the Lord. We pray for an increase in vocations, the priesthood and religious life, the consecrated life, married life, and the single life, that families may nurture those vocations, and that the church may receive them and assist in their formation. We pray to the Lord. We pray for the dead and all who have gone before us. 
especially remember Steve's son and my brother Patrick's son. For all those who have died from the families here. For the poor souls in purgatory, those who have no one to pray for them. That they may be aided this day and enjoy the beatific vision. We ask this through Christ. 